0: So you, maybe as much as I enjoy preaching, uh, it really scares me to death, the thought of preaching, uh, makes me nervous. Uh, why? Because it's a, it's a huge work, it, at least for me. It involves, uh, you know, diligent study, praying and sweating and all that. So uh, it's something that is really huge uh, for me. But I also know, so the comforting thought is that uh, uh, God is able to use what is broken and bring out uh, whatever he wills at the time. And uh, uh, he's able to use us in our own weaknesses at the same time and be able to accomplish uh, his, own, uh, his own desires. So let us pray. Sovereign Word. Uh, thankful for today. I'm thankful that uh, you can use me In my own weaknesses. I pray Lord that uh, you bring out whatever you have uh, intended uh, this afternoon and that uh, I pray for all of us that will be uh, obedient to your word and that will be a people that will be looking after obeying you in whatever we do. I pray that your power will be manifested in this place uh, today. In Jesus' name our Lord I have prayed. Amen. Amen. So the book of Romans uh, let's go to the book of Romans. And there's something particular that I like about the book of Romans. Uh, so while these are all the books in the te- uh, in the Bible are able to bring the gospel, are able to pro- portray Jesus Christ, uh, I think that uh, Paul, in a way that he wrote Romans, is a little bit unique. So there are two things that I see. Number one that stands out is that he's... Um, the way he exposes the condition of man or uh, the nature of man, that man is sinful. So you will recall that uh, starting uh, 1 verse 18, Romans 1 verse 18, up to chapter 3, Paul is able to argue that all are sinful, all have sinned, both Gentiles and Jews. Okay, so that's, that's number one, he's trying to, uh, to put man in his rightful place. And number two is uh, his revelation of God. Okay? What God has done and who He is. So you will see that in verses, chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, He's able to talk about, uh, uh, in, in a summary, He's talking about the gospel. Now, in the gospel is the righteousness of God revealed for salvation, for those who believe, a righteousness that is by faith. So He's talking about the gospel. The gospel is the power of God Himself unto salvation. For those who believe, namely those again that you see, those who have sinned. So this is the connection. When he says that all have sinned, then he provides a common solution for all. There has to be a common solution for all who have sinned. So which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. However, there are questions that are asked about the gospel sometimes. Is it sufficient enough? Can it save sinners? Is it, is it enough for our living in, a, in my personal life? Can I rely on the gospel and be good? So there are such questions that get asked. So today, in our passage, I want us to see, of course, what Paul is trying to portray in an indirect way, uh, that the gospel is sufficient. So I don't ascribe titles to my sermons, if you follow me, but I provide what I call a theme or an overarching idea, because every sermon has to have an idea. Okay, so there's that. So if you want to grasp that, I've called it the sufficiency and the power of the gospel. That's what I'm going to be uh, talking about. So let's read (coughs) Romans chapter 1. So Romans chapter 1, starting verse, I'll read from verse 7, but my focus is going to be uh, verse 8 up to 13. Right. so from verse 7, To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to to be saints, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve with my whole heart in preaching the gospel of his Son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times and I pray that now at last by God's will the way may be opened for me to come to you I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong that is you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith I do not want you to be Ignorant or unaware, in other versions, brothers, that I planned many times to come to you, but I have, but have been prevented from uh, doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among other Gentiles. Amen. Now, uh, Paul is opening his letter here. Of course, we know that this letter is written by Paul to the uh, congregation at Rome, uh, Paul is an apostle of Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul apparently had never been to Rome. Um, so, but he has the people in his heart. The people are in his heart. That's what you, you should know. So he starts, let's go to verse 8. I said I start in verse 8. So he starts uh, by saying that he thanks God through Jesus Christ for the Romans. Because that's where the the letter is being addressed to. For the Romans, he's thankful for the Romans. Why? Because your faith is being reported all over the world. Okay, so he's thanking them because of their faith. Okay, now if you read that, it doesn't make like, yeah, thanking them for their faith. So what? You know, it's it's just a statement. But then we need to, there are two things perhaps more that we need to know for this statement to make sense. Number one is that the church at Rome, there's no record of an apostle starting a church at Rome. Okay, so <laughs> these are uh, people, ordinary people, probably uh, an outflow of the events of Acts chapter 2. We know what happened at the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, coming of the Holy Spirit on the church, that there were people present from all over the world of the day. So, it is believed that these people might be the ones that started the church at Rome. So, Uh, the people that started from the scratch on their own, without a giant, without an apostle, and yet their faith has grown. You have to say something about that. It's a commendable thing. So this is why Paul is mentioning. Number two is the place itself, Rome. Now, when we talk about Rome, we are talking about the capital of the, the most powerful empire at this time. Okay, so this is a center of politics. This is not a religious friendly place. Okay, it's it's a place where the, the emperor himself resides. And you know that the emperor himself called himself a god, right? So it's either you worship him or you don't. So for these people, for their faith to thrive in such an environment was a commendable thing. So Paul had to mention it. And the world here can refer to the Roman Empire, but also it can refer to you know the inhabited world of that day. So it means everyone is talking about you, Romans. And it's it's really good. Despite your circumstances, you are able to come out. So that's what Paul is doing by, by, by setting this statement. On its own, it's difficult to grasp what he's trying to say. Okay, so so I was able here to you know, draw out some things uh, that we can, uh, you know, make use of. So in our today's world, maybe we think about the church, Uh, the environment that we are in, our country, perhaps of different ministries. What if the environment doesn't seem favorable for the church? You know, will the church shut down? And let's go to the words of Jesus Christ in, in Matthew. He says that the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against the church. So uh, as hard as the environment was for the Romans, the gospel was still able to make inroads into the city and cause the people to thrive and cause their faith to grow. So this is the power uh, of the gospel. And in one sixteen, the verse that I referred to, when Paul says the gospel is the power of God, it's not just about semantics, it's not just using words. He's trying to compare the power the human power which is Rome, you know, Rome is is emblematic of power. Like that's the personification of power. You can't talk about power in history without talking about Rome. Now when Paul says the gospel is the power of God, he's saying I know you have that power as Romans, but then there's a power that comes from God which is beyond It is unimaginable, it's beyond, it's unfathomable. This is the power of God unto salvation. It's not political power. It's the power that saves men. Amen? Amen. So when he says the gospel is the power, this is what he's talking about right here, that it can cause people to thrive in an unfriendly environment. Let's talk about our personal lives. Are there things that you have accepted as, 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 as things that I cannot overcome? in your personal life are there things that you have accepted as a defeat now can the gospel cause you can the gospel cause me in my personal life to be victorious can the gospel do that and i want to submit to you that the answer is yes because for paul to be able to report about the faith of the romans it means i I tell you what you cannot here's what you need to get we cannot have a faithful church if we don't have faith for individuals. Okay, so it starts with individuals. It means there was victory in the lives of the Romans, which reflected in their church. Amen. So this is a challenge to us. This is a challenge to us. And connecting with that, what are you known for? What am I known for? When people talk about me, what do they talk about? What am I known for? This is a question that we can ask ourselves. And it's just not about the answer to the question. But knowing that the answer to the question matters because the world watches. Okay, so what you do as a believer, the world is watching and the testimony is going to go. So you can either bring disrepute to the testimony of the church or your personal testimony, or you can bring honor. So it's one or the other. So this is a challenge to all of us. That we may check what are we known for when people talk about me, when people talk about you. Of course, I'm not talking about gossips. I'm talking about if they were to describe you, what would they talk about? What are you known for? It's a question that you, the Romans are are known for their faith. So we have to ask ourselves, what am I known for? Who am I? Am I a believer that I should be? It's a question. What do people say about me? You know, so that's, uh, that's, uh, that's something I was able to, to see that the gospel is able to shape our way of belief and our way of life. Number two, let's go to chap- uh, verse 9 and I'll read verse 9. And um, So verse 9, then uh, 10a, or part of verse 10. So verse 9 says, God whom I serve my, with my whole heart in preaching the gospel in his, of his son is my witness how I constantly constantly remember you in my prayers at all times. Okay? So I remember you in my prayers at all times. That's where we'll stop there. So this statement on its own, of course, it's a something that is trying to qualify what Paul is claiming or his argument. So he's saying he's making God his witness. Why? Because he wants to emphasize how genuine and true what he's saying is. So that's the initial so that's what this statement is doing here. That's the initial purpose. But as I was looking also closely, I was able to see uh, that much as Paul was a preacher of the word he was also a prayer warrior. Amen? So there's no preaching without prayer. Okay? So there's no preaching without prayer. And Stretching that thought further, I was also able to see that. Um, so, what is the correlation between our uh, preaching all the word and prayer? Okay, so you are able to see that the more we dig into the word, the more we know how to pray. Okay, and the more we pray, the more we are prompted to go to the word. This is the connection. This is how it works. And and in summary, you can say that. Prayer shapes, the uh, the word of God shapes prayer, but it is prayer that gives power to the word of God. Amen. 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 So, uh, the word shapes prayer, but prayer fuels the word of God. So, you cannot do one w- w- without the other. That's how it works. So, this is an encouragement to all of us. In our ministry, we cannot overemphasize the other add to the neglect of the, this other one. Prayer and word must go hand in hand. Amen. Amen. And that is what the, 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 the example that Paul is, is, is uh, showing us here. The other thing is that his ministry is wholehearted. He's not a guy who puts one leg over here and then he's, he's into something else over here. He says, I serve the Lord wholeheartedly. What does that mean? It means pouring himself out. Whatever it is about him is about ministry, is about serving God. That's what he's, uh, he's saying here. So number two is that the gospel shapes our prayer life. Okay, that's what we have been able to see. Let's go to to the last part of verse 10. And I pray that now at last by God's will, the way may be opened for me to come to you. Now, in in verse 13, which is where we're going, he's going to mention how at many times he has been prevented from going to Rome. Okay? Okay. But here he says that uh, I pray that by God's will. So the gospel, here's something that I was able to see again. The gospel causes us to be reliant or to rest on God's will or God's provision or God's providence. And this is, this is what Mark's post minister Throughout his ministry, he's a guy who relies on God's provision. He does not do things out of his own, just his own will. So, just what was preventing Paul from going to the Romans, we don't know because it doesn't say it, okay? But, if you read in chapter 15 of the same book, you'll be able to see uh, that Paul is mentioning, number one, that he was engaged in ministry in, in the Eastern region, uh, probably in Asia Minor. And number two, you are also able to see that Paul was involved in the collection, collecting funds throughout, the, throughout Europe to take to the brothers in Jerusalem. So those could have been things that prevented him from uh, going to Rome. Okay. And in 15:29, Romans 15.29, he's able to say that, I know that when I come to you, I will come with the full blessing of Jesus Christ. So there's a blessedness in obeying, in staying in the will of God. Sometimes we pray, and then God does not open doors for us. This could be, is, it is an encouragement to all of us. When God does not open doors, does it mean he's neglecting us? No. It is for our own good and for his own glory. So ours is to obey him. Ours is to uh, trust him. That's what we are supposed to do. No matter the circumstances, we ought to trust uh, in the Lord. Okay. Uh, so I was, I, was, uh, I was thinking about the, the verse in, in Jeremiah. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. Okay, For he shall be like a man planted by the streams of water, and he shall bear fruit and without ceasing. So that's the blessedness of relying or trusting in the Lord. So this is, this is what Paul is marking out for us. And of course we know that Paul later on, if you read the book of Acts, Especially chapter 25 going forward, that he was able to go to Rome, but not in a way that he planned. He didn't go, of course. I think he planned to go there, you know, on his own, free. But he went there as a prisoner. But of course, God answered his prayer, right? He went to Rome. That's that's the thing. But he did not go in a way that he thought he would. He went there as a prisoner, and we see that uh, Paul's ministry in Rome was very fruitful. He wrote a lot of letters which are now scripture, right? So, it is God's timing which is good for us. When he opens doors, it is for our good and to his glory. When he doesn't, it is for our good and to his glo- to his own glory at the same time. Amen. Amen. Um, let's go to Let's go to verse 11. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift. Okay, it's not gifts. It's spiritual gift to make you strong. Okay, let's stop there. So I long to see you. Now, here, Paul didn't have an entitlement to go and see the Romans. Why? Because he's not the guy who started the church. If he were today, he would say, ah, that I, I don't need to go there anyways. You know, he he was good if he didn't, didn't go there because he would say, I'm not the founder of that church, okay? But that thought is very far from Paul's mind. He's concerned about the growth of other people. He's concerned about the spiritual uh, welfare of other people. Now, we don't know what this gift is because he doesn't mention what the gift is. So I think uh, that this is my, my analysis now, Okay? Because it's not in the Bible, he doesn't say what gift. I think that he was going to use his own gift, you know, to somehow shape what was going on at, at with the Romans. Now he says that the intention is to make them strong. Now, in what way were they weak? Again, he doesn't explicitly say. But if you read in chapters fourteen and fifteen, you are able to see that Paul points out that some ethical things or uh, things to do with conduct and moral morals and and food and drinks and and festivals was dividing the church at Rome. so in that case, they were becoming weak. Okay, by those divisions, when the Jews separate themselves from the gentiles and and vice versa, the church was becoming weak and weak and weak, and the grounds on which they were being separated were things that the gospel does not even. Uh, In fact, it does confront that those don't matter. What matters is our salvation in Jesus Christ. So those things, otherwise, we are wrecking the church. And so Paul says, no, when I come there, I want to, you know, use something that I have in order to make you strong, okay? So my guess would be that Paul was going to teach them the word of God as well as pray with them and other things that pertain to discipleship and growth of other people. So Paul, this is the first uh, uh, part of his his mentioning his purpose, is to go there and engage in discipleship with the Romans. That's what he's doing. So the challenge to us could be how concerned are we about our fellow believers? If Christianity is, is about family, if we are family as believers, then how often do we check on our family members? How often do we pray for them? You know, sometimes it's, you can even see that a brother is dejected here. Like, you can see even the demon, I can tell you. But then you greet them with the expectation that they will say, I'm fine. You know, you you don't really... Are you checking on this person? Do you maybe take an intentional movement? Let me go and see uh, my brother, Carson there. Oh, let me go and see... Amen my friend whatever friend you have so uh it is a challenge to all of us that we be able to look at our brothers and be able to check on them and be able to be concerned about their progress or their spiritual progress their physical well-being how well are they doing you know it that means fellowship it means we are fellowshipping it means we are concerned. We are, we are being family. We can make cause to our biological family, but then we don't check on our, our spiritual family. You know, And that's, that's just... Uh, uh, it's worrying on its own. The second part of Paul's purpose, now he explains the way this imparting was going to happen. He says, that is, or in other words, how that you and I may be mutually encouraged. Okay, now this is a this one comes as a bomb to most of us. Okay? Especially those of us that preach, those of us that are in leadership positions and those those of us that are overseeing some things because there's a temptation of going with an intention of, you know, I'm going to show them. I'm going to show them or you know, uh they're so immature and i'm very matured you know such kind of arrangement paul was able to realize his own need what a humble man he knows that much as i want to teach these guys if truly they are believers they have received the holy spirit god has empowered them they must have something to pour in me i need their encouragement okay so This is the beauty of how God has created our family, is unity in diversity. What that means is that uh, my weakness becomes my brother's strength and vice versa. And when we come together, we are strong. I cannot do without my family as a believer. It's, It's not something that I go as a Lone Ranger. You don't do that family means you care for one another family means there's that mutual understanding there's that mutual uh, or symbiotic relationship <laughs> that's that's what it means so it means that i'm able to impact other people and they're able to impact me you know so otherwise you remain blind to your own needs and so I was able to pull out three things that I think that Paul is trying to avoid by studying this statement. So number one, he's trying to avoid the attitude of holier than thou. Okay, holier than thou. Uh, this is where he'll be able to just point out, uh, you are wrong for doing that, uh, uh, you're you are a weak guy, you're bad, you know, so just try to find a way of uh, finding yourselves. That's not what what is in his mind. When he's going there, he has a purpose of building. Now, today, we have people who may stand and do as I'm doing here, present a message that is just meant for the audience and not them. We have people who are able to point out the weaknesses of others and not their own. We have people that are able to point out the, the bad things, the weaknesses, of other families and not their own family. We have people, preachers, who are able to stand and point out how sinful other people are and not them. And what that does is it's blinding you to your own need. And I'll tell you what, the secret to finding help is knowing what you need. You cannot get help if you don't know what you need. Okay. And the more you keep pointing at other people, the more you become blind to your own need. So it is high time that the gospel is needed for believers, for all of us. We all need the gospel. We are broken together as sinners before God. Number two is the attitude of, you know, I know it all. You know, there are people that, you know, just as an example, maybe here, uh, I want to be the preacher in this service I'll be the presider. I'll be the usher, and also maybe I'll be, you know, I don't know, maybe choir conductor. Just me. So I just have to be everywhere. It's just me. I'm just diffusing. Anyway, you just have to dance to my tune. You find me everywhere. Now, Paul doesn't have that in mind. Okay, he wants it to be the fellowship to be participatory, whereby everyone has you know is joined to it and has something to contribute it's not just about me it's about us god has empowered us all you know so i don't have to be over everything he doesn't want them to feel like ah or something like that you know he is encouraging them that you can still you can still impact me no matter how big a giant i am you know we, we don't have to care about how educated one is, how well they preach, how loud they preach, how expository they preach, how educated they are, what responsibilities they have. If they are a believer and if they are a human being, they are in need of other people. Amen. Amen. And the third, third thing that I feel like Paul is trying to avoid is passivity in the church. Okay, so much as there are people that want to be everywhere, there are also people that they don't want to participate in anything. Mm So, it's, it's like, what do you have to offer? Like, as a believer, what are you offering to the body of Christ? What are you doing? It's like, what, you, what do we have to get from you? You know, boy is trying to avoid that. Like, don't be passive. I want you to engage. I want you to be in this fellowship called, you know, as believers together. You know, you don't have to be passive as a believer, you have been equipped to do the work of Jesus Christ, you know. Shame on me if I avoid for the sake of being ashamed, you know, or maybe shun serving. So all of us have been equipped to serve in the body of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So we are all empowered. Don't be passive. Wherever you are, don't be passive. Whether you serve here, whether you serve at Gethsemane, Grace, Calvary, Blessed, the Ambassador Gospel, churches, wherever you are. On this side, there are churches that I don't know very well. Uh, yes. Uh, so don't be passive. Be engaging. Okay, because why? The reason is simple, because you have been equipped. You have been given a spiritual gift. You have been gi- are given the mandate. You have been given the power to impact other believers as well. You know, the purpose of the spiritual gift is for the growth of the church. And when we talk about the church, we are talking about individuals, right? So the more you impart your friend, the more you get from them, the better we become. Okay? So let me conclude. I don't know how well we are doing on time. Uh oh. Uh, So let me conclude uh, with verse 13. Uh, It's not really concluding, but let's go to verse 13. Uh, I do not want you to be unaware brothers that I planned many times to come to you but have been prevented from doing so until now in order that I may have a harvest among you just as I have had among other Gentiles now the first purpose was to do edification Okay. the second purpose is to evangelize so the gospel for evangelism right so we evangelize with the gospel, and Paul here is using an analogy of harvest, and this sounds familiar with what Jesus said himself: uh, "The harvest is plenty, but then there are few laborers." Pray that the Lord should send laborers into His own word, into His own harvest. So this is a gracious invitation to all of us. Okay, we have been invited to be laborers in the field of Jesus Christ. And to be be laborers of Jesus Christ is not something like a slavery. This is a gracious invitation. It is, we are called to work for the master of masters, the the lord of lords. How great is that? So, when last did we engage in an intentional and purposeful evangelistic discussion with an unbeliever? When last did we do that? That can be a challenge to all of us. Did we be able to engage if the gospel is the good news that we say it is then we cannot hesitate to share it with other people if we are joyful that we have been saved then we can't wait to share the joy with other people of being saved Amen. amen so uh paul is going there of course he had seen the power of the gospel working in other cities and towns and he says i want to go to rome at the same time so that you also may feel the power that i'm talking about this is not a political power. This is not a power to be compared to the emperor. This is the power of God himself that has changed people and it has saved sinners. And I want you at Rome to, to, to feed it and to be able to be saved by it. Amen. Same challenge can be posed uh, to us today. So in my conclusion, I will reiterate or emphasize the sufficiency and the power of the gospel itself. Okay, so in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed unto salvation of man. Okay? For the salvation of man. For those who believe a righteousness by faith. Is any of us needing salvation? They should look to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are we burdened or heavy laden by the cares of the world? We should look to the gospel of Jesus Christ for encouragement. Are we tempted to sin? We should look to the gospel of Jesus Christ for victory. Are we dejected or is our family uh, divided or is our church divided as as was the case with the Romans? Let us look to the gospel of Jesus Christ for strength and reconciliation. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord, for today. We thank you for uh, what you have showed us, your power indeed. Uh, Lord, I thank you that you have been able to uh, to speak through me. I pray that uh, you'll be able to reveal yourself more and more in our lives. We pray for today, Uh, we pray for everybody that is present in here, uh, that we shall not just be hearers, but doers of your word. I pray, Lord, um, that you give us victory and that you give us uh, uh, the power that we need through your gospel by which to live and by which to impact the lives of other people. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, I have prayed. Amen. Amen.